To the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word, and you've not denied my name. I will make those who are in the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but they are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my commands to endure patiently, I will also keep you for the hour and the trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one can take your crown. The one who is victorious will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write their name of my God and the city of God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write them a new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation 3 is where we find that letter. Open your Bibles to that. You'll see all the references from that that I'm going to speak about today. There's something about a name. Do you like your name? I find mine rather boring. Some people change their names. Sean Combs did that. He became Sean Puff Daddy Combs. (laughs) Then he was Puff Daddy. And then he was P. Diddy. Then he was Sean P. Diddy Combs. I guess that was first. Then P. Diddy. Now he's Diddy. I suppose next is Did, and then it'll be D, you know, coming down the line. Some people are known just by a single name. It's all we need. Madonna, Magic, Prince, Tiger, Rihanna. Some cities have nicknames, and we know them, like like uh, Boomtown and the Big Easy and the Big Apple and Sin City and the Motor City, things like that. Philadelphia, the letter to whom this letter was written now in Revelation 3, is a city with an identity crisis. It's a city that is situated on a, a geological fault line. So historically, they've known the unsettledness that comes from earthquakes and volcanic activity. I mean, there are even tremors along the way, so much so that people chose to live outside the city because they feared for their lives. And every time such things happen, there's seismic activity or some kind of unsettledness or devastation, well, they would, they would uh, have all this to deal with in rebuilding. And when they rebuilt, uh, their name would be changed. There were even different emperors that would keep changing the name of this city over and over again. And so because of that... Uh, Their name was always changing and shifting. So uh, imagine what it was like for uh, the preacher to stand up and read this letter from Jesus to the church, the people there at Philadelphia. And he said this, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know what it means that Jesus is going to write a new name on us after we've faithfully served him with our lives. I don't, mean, I don't know what it means that, that somehow is it going to be a different name for each of us or one new name. I don't know. All I know is if Jesus gives it, it's going to be a great name. And we will love the name that he gives us. This name 
This world is a name-calling place. Maybe you've been insulted before because of what people have done with your name or they've used it in a derogatory way. That happens because the world is like that. But you are promised a new name when you live a victorious life just trusting Jesus Christ to the very end no matter what you have to deal with in the course of your life. The book of Revelation is written just before or in the midst of a trying time, a persecuting time for these believers at the end of the first century. Trajan is on the throne of Rome from about 98 AD until 117 BC. He made it illegal for a person to be a Christian. And these Christ followers were up against all kinds of persecution. We don't know to, how, to what degree, what extent it's been experienced here in Philadelphia, but certainly we see it in the other churches near the earth. So it's not a stretch to think that in many ways they are being challenged in their faith. It confounded the Romans because they saw their courage, they saw their faith, they saw that they would not move. We have records of people who stood unmovable. And in the letter... Jesus notices that they have endured. That Greek word endure means hyperstand. More than just stand, hyperstand. It's the same word that the writer of Hebrews uses in Hebrews 12 when it says that Jesus endured the cross. He hyperstood. And Jesus wants the Philadelphians to know and you and me to know that we can as well. There is no reason, there's nothing that can happen that, can, that comes to our, us that is in any unpredictable fashion. There's nothing that come, can come against you where God, through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, will not enable you and us together to hyper stand no matter what. And when you do, you can anticipate a new name at the end of time. There are three symbols that help us just grasp the endurance and how we get there. The first word is the door. The second one is the key. The third is the pillar. We'll start with the door. It has to do with opportunity. He says here, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. A couple verses later it says, since you have kept my command to endure patiently. For the Christian, for the Christ follower, suffering is never meaningless. Never. My obstacles can be turned into opportunities. Say that with me. My obstacles can be turned into opportunities. Now, mind you, as I say that, this letter is not ultimately about you. This, this, you could take that statement I just said, my obstacles will be turned into opportunities, and make it a motivational speech uh, for some sales conference you go to. That's not what this is about. God can take our obstacles and turn them into opportunities for the ultimate glory of the name of Jesus. That's what he cares about. He wants to take you and with all, all the things you deal with, what I deal with, and he wants us to barrel through this by faith so he is exalted. And what happens when we make him the centerpiece, we are the ones that are also strengthened for it as well. That's just how it works. He's first, though. 
This is true throughout the scripture. We are challenged about such opportunities. Colossians 4.3, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. It also says in that chapter, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Ephesians 5, be very careful then how you live, not as wise, but as unwise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Galatians 6.10, therefore as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. When Jesus wrote this letter, he says in the letter to them, you have little strength. They're puny. You ever feel puny? They're puny and maybe in their faith. Maybe in their doctrinal understanding. Maybe they're puny in number. Scholars believe there's only two or three dozen people, perhaps, that are part of this little church. And so because of that, they just feel in their minority and they're up against so much. You ever get in life where you just said, this is too big for me. I can't handle this. What am I going to do about this one? Of course. Some people make that silly comment, nothing will happen that, uh, what is it? Oh, jeez. You say it. I've heard you say it. Uh, 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 every, uh, uh, God won't give you anything you can't handle, right? How many of you have said that? Yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> of course he gives you things you can't handle because it forces us to our knees before the throne of God, Right? That's the whole point about living these, these fractured lives, these broken lives, these puny lives. We are not capable by, by ourselves. We are not equipped except by the Holy Spirit within us to deal with life's challenges. But we can be empowered by him. And that's why we come together to worship. That's why we're in life groups. That's why we serve together because there is strength in all of this. And when you, when you deal with life that way, then your, your obstacle is your opportunity to do things for God you never thought you'd be able to do. This is not just power of positive thinking. Jesus said this. And when I'm talking about suffering today, I'm talking about troubles regardless of what they are, what kind. I'm talking about life disappointments. Uh, times when you're just, you've kind of been shattered in your relationships. Your, your, your work is downsizing and you lose your job without warning. You wonder how ends are going to meet. You thought you'd be married by now and you're not. You thought your kids would be gone, but they're not. Uh, you, 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 there could be lots of things. You know, somebody understood that. So you, the, the troubles come in all kinds of ways. And people might look at you and think, well, I don't think that's suffering. Well, if it's to you, it's suffering. You see, there's all kinds of situations we are involved. It's like getting the door slammed in your face. And there are all kinds of doors that get slammed in our face in the course of human existence. Jesus is saying, because you endure in handling whatever trouble you're going through, I'm going to open doors for you. You trust me in this trouble. You serve me in this trouble. You keep worshiping me in this trouble. You keep loving me through this trouble. And you think this door was the most important door you needed to open? I'm telling you, I've got a better door to open for you. For my glory and for your maturity as a believer, a follower of me. I mean, you can be stronger, you can be wiser, you can be better for yourself. But primarily, this is for the glory of God. And we need that kind of message. You know, just a week ago, we watched this amazing quarterback take down Brady. We were salivating over it, weren't we? 
And then, and, and when you hear his story, what is it? He was, he was nothing. Failure after failure. That's his testimony. Failure after failure after failure. He was encouraged by a brother to keep moving ahead. And something happened in December when God opened a door for him. And what happened? He used his stage of the world to claim his Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what he did. That's how it works. Now, what do you think he could do with you? It's true of the Bible, all kinds of people in the Bible. And I know what some of you are thinking. You may be thinking, yeah, but I caused my own suffering. How many could give testimony of that today? I brought my suffering on myself. You know, it was my decision. I didn't look for the Lord. I didn't ask the Lord. I didn't pray about it. I wasn't a believer then. It could be all kinds of things. And, and I'm here. Your friend, it doesn't matter. Even the ones we bring on ourselves by bad choice. Who in here would dare to say you've never made a bad decision? Of course we have. You think of Abraham who was a downright liar about his wife. And God still wanted to use him. God says, I'm going to give you a special son. Trust me. He didn't. He took matters into his own hands. He had a kid with Hagar. The, the, the slave woman, the world is still reeling about that bad decision. Nevertheless, God says, nope, there's another kid going to be born. Isaac is born, the promised child through whom our Savior was born. God did that in spite of the mess up of Abraham. Go to Moses. He murdered an Egyptian, fled for his life to the desert in Midian. Forty years there, God brings him back and says, I want you to be my man to get God, my people, out of slavery. And he boldly stood before Pharaoh and got him out as a great leader. Samson, nothing but a womanizer. But he's, at the end of his life, he calls on the name of the Lord, and he does more good in his death than he ever did in his life, the Bible says. David, David, this, this man we admire so much, uh, also a murderer and an adulterer. And you think God would be done with him. But he repents of that. And what happened? We would not have Psalm 51 were it not for that situation in David's life. Created me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Saul, a killer of Christians, prisoning them. For three days, his life falls apart. He's struck with blindness. His world seems to be over. But God was on the way of doing something grand through him in spite of his bad choices previously. Even at the, the Last Supper with Jesus, for the third time, those disciples, those closest friends of Jesus, were arguing about who's most important. Imagine that. And God used those 12 men to change the world. You think you've made a bad decision? You look at the people in the Bible. They made bad choice after bad choice, and God said, I'm still going to use you, even though you're damaged goods. I'm going to make you new, and I'm going to do something grand for you. You think, don't ever think you are too damaged to be used by God. Too scarred, too broken up, too beat up. Even if you brought it on yourself, God's a master of renewing people and charging to greater things. But you've got to trust him. Trust him that he will do something. He will make a grand opportunity for you. The bottom line is suffering will either make you better or worse. It will never leave you where you are. The second symbol in the text is key. This has to do with God's sovereignty. 
We grow when we suffer under God's supremacy, under Christ's authority in our lives. The text says, I have the keys, keys of David. I open this door, no one can shut. I shut it and no one can open it. You know, he's the one who's ultimately in charge. Now, in town, and Jesus mentions it's in the letter, there's this synagogue in Philadelphia. Some suggest it's a rather large synagogue. And of course, they, they fight against these, this puny group of believers. And they slam the door in the face of the believers. And they're making life, I assume, very hard for the believers there in Philadelphia. But what does Jesus say? You know, for, you know, for, for the Jews, I mean, who's their hero? Their hero is David. They know somebody's going to sit on David's throne forever. They just don't think it's Jesus. So they're, they're always about persecuting these believers. They think they're so wrong. And Jesus says, look, Christians, I've got the keys of David. I'm the one that has the keys. And one of these days, those Jews are going to recognize that I'm, I'm with you. And they're going to be, some of them are going to be at your door, wanting in, wanting a part of your fellowship. God is so good. Jesus holds the keys, friends. And this is how he holds the keys. First, he holds the keys to your life. You've been in a human development course probably before where you had that question, are we the product of nature or nurture? Remember that question? And you toss that one around in some education class. and come, The bottom line, it doesn't matter. Because whatever you're the product of, and we're all the product of a conglomeration of many things, God uses us to his glory. This is the crux of the whole letter, I think, that troubles don't automatically make you better. They're, they make you better when you put your life fully in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, can they make you better without Jesus? Sure, but not in the same way. It's still a self-centered being made better. As Christ followers, we care about the name of Jesus because that's the person that is going to give us a new name at the end and, and make us triumphant in this life journey. He also holds the keys to self-awareness because it's in being aware of who we are that we're made better. If you go to the doctor, you show some symptoms, he may say, mm, I think I'm going to uh, prescribe a treadmill test for you, a stress test. Why? To reveal what may be faulty going inside that nobody can see. And so when troubles come, they're like a stress test. It's like a treadmill of life. And what comes out are the things we have been trusting that we shouldn't have been trusting. It measures maybe our level of courage or our faith or our patience or the depth of our, our prayer life, our dependency on the Lord. And so Jesus holds the keys to our own self-awareness. And friends, the, the more we get into God's word, he convicts us. He helps us see what's inside and what has to be dealt with by his spirit. He holds the keys to what enslaves us. And we have, to, we have to learn what enslaves us because our default setting, because of our sin nature, is toward depending on anything other than God. We lean that way. We have other gods. That's why God has to make it a great commandment. Don't trust, don't put any other God before me. The Bible talks about the sin of idolatry more than any other sin in the Bible. Why? Because that's where we tend to lean toward all the time. We trust our money. We trust our success. We trust our titles. We trust our kids' successes. We trust in our, our, our retirement funds or whatever it is. And so troubles reveal 
if we really trust Jesus more than anything else. Everything else is a sandcastle. He's our rock. Jesus holds the key to making us more human. What do I mean by that? Well, I've told you before. I love my mom so much. I think about her about every day. And I've got this, somebody, when she died, gave me uh, some wind chimes. They're outside my home office, and whenever they ring, I think of my mom. She's a great lady of faith, so I want to honor her well. But she wasn't perfect, Mom. She wasn't perfect in faith. My mom grew up uh, without much suffering. She was third of, of three kids. Her two older siblings were boys. She was spoiled. By her own admission, she was spoiled. Uh, she lived through the Great Depression, but my grandfather worked the railroad, so he was never without work, so they didn't suffer through the Depression like others. And I can remember times in my adulthood when my mom would actually say, I just don't understand why a Christian should ever be depressed. And I kind of believed her till I got depressed. (laughs) And so I went through a year-long depression, and who do you think I didn't tell? My mom, she wouldn't understand that. She hadn't grown human in that particular area. Now, that's the benefit of being the body of Christ when we come together and we can share our scars and our hurts and our burdens. I don't think we're a church like that yet. I think some some have learned that. But I don't think our church yet is safe enough where No matter what group you're with, you can just acknowledge your pain and your hurt, and people will hear you and understand you and embrace you no matter what. I don't think we've grown that yet. I think we're still a little too protective about our stories. We're too worried about what a brother says. Friends, it ought to be in this family that you can say whatever you've dealt with in your past, whatever you praise God for, whatever your testimony is that got you here, and you're embraced and loved, and you are held high because of who you are in Jesus, right? So let's learn that in our life groups. Let's learn that just the stories of our lives. Let, let's, let's, let's know that it's in other people's stories that we find strength. In. Let's be human, all right? Touchable, relatable, huggable, that sort of thing. Jesus holds the keys also to, to granting you power. When Jesus wrote this letter, he said to them, you know, I see you have little strength. You're weak. And they were. But God makes it very clear in his word. His power is made perfect in weakness. If you could be all that strong by yourself, where's glory to God in that? It's out of being weak and our dependence on him when he works within us and we live this day when it starts so lousy or in the midst of the day, it falls apart. Yet we can close knowing, you know, he got me through. At the end of the week, he did the same thing, right? He holds the key to that. When you depend upon him, he, 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 he's power for living. Our obstacles become opportunities for his glory even when we're weak. He's saying, look, I want you to learn to hyperstand. Trust me, I'm the one that can help you hyperstand no matter what. You will endure. And Jesus holds the very keys over your life. Do you remember driving home from the hospital when your baby was born? I mean, I remember it. I was shaking. It's at least one day in my life I didn't speed. And I gripped the steering wheel. You know, hoping, you know, nobody would hit us on the way home. You know what was worse than that day? Handing my keys over to my 16-year-old son. And uh, I didn't grip the steering wheel, but I gritted my teeth for sure. And you know, uh, it's hard, it's hard to pass over control. It's hard to give up and say, it's hard that way too. God, here's the keys. 
Now, it's not that I don't want Jesus in the car. He can sit in the passenger seat. He can sit in the back seat because I might need him. I might have a blowout. The battery might be dead. I might need him to hand me something. He's so useful, isn't he? If that's how you're treating Jesus, you're not where he wants you to be. We're not here because we find God useful. We're here because he is worthy of holding the keys to our life. Now, I was baptized when I was 10 years old. But I don't think I ever handed him the keys until I was in college. And you know what? In the course of my life, I could tell you occasion after occasion where I said, I want the keys back. And I took control again. I have to keep learning over and over. No, 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 no. I am not qualified to hold these keys. You've got to be in the driver's seat. Anybody learning that hard lesson right now? Hand in the keys. It's so much hard. It's so difficult to do it. Why are we so, why are we so hard, hard-headed in all this? He has rightful authority over life, over my life. He's the key. In the garden, the cross was looming before him. He knew his time had come. He knew the intense pain he was going to face. And what did he say? God, I don't want this. Father, I don't want this. Please save the world some other way. But at the end of the day, he banged on the door. In fact, he's the only, he's the only God that ever banged on the door and the door stayed shut. Stored stayed shut. It didn't open up. Of all the faiths in the world, he was the one locked out. But instead of raging against the only one who could open that door, he yielded humbly, saying, not my will, but yours be done. A Christian is somebody who says, Jesus, you were locked out from me so that whenever any door slams against me in this life, I can trust you implicitly because you're going to do something bigger than I could ever accomplish by myself, right? That's what we learn in the resurrection. It seemed foolish to all those disciples, didn't it? It didn't make sense. It didn't make sense their leader was there. But God had something bigger. And Jesus' greatest obstacle on that day became the greatest opportunity, not just for him, but for all of us as well. Nothing like it. So by his power, we can deal with the closed doors, trusting the Lord. And then we have the pillar which has to do with your identity. He says, I'll make you a pillar, rock solid. Kids hate locked doors, don't they? Brothers lock sisters out. Let me in! And you have to go in as the mediator, right? Kids hate those fancy little things you put on cabinet doors to keep them out. But there's a reason for that, right? They don't get it. All they know, if there's a lock there, there must be something really good behind it. Oreos. But you know to ruin their supper. Knives. That'd be fun. But there'd be a bloody mess, right? You know, cleaning agents. That'd be fun to play in. Toxins. You're the parent. You know. You know, even when they don't understand. Is there anybody here today screaming and fussing over some slam door today? 
some trouble or level of suffering, some disappointment, something that just evokes this wondering about God. I tell you, in the last two to three years, you know, Diana and I have had lots of prayer requests, lots of specific requests, and not many of them have been answered like we thought they should be. And all I can tell you is, we keep praying. And we keep loving God. We keep trusting Him. Because what else can we do? Who else can you go to that has words to eternal life? Got any suggestions? There's only one who is worthy. You can be a pillar, but it requires humility, friends. It requires humility. That's what Jesus did when the door was slammed against Him. He humbled Himself and became obedient, even death on a cross. He did that. And what happened? God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, and one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. We live in a metropolitan area that has some great names in venues. We have Ruoff Home Mortgage Music Center now, not Klipsch anymore. We have uh, Indiana Farmers Coliseum. We have Old National Theater. We have Lucas Oil. We have Banker's Life. Why did they get their names lifted up? They paid a price. They paid a price so those names could be known. Jesus paid the ultimate price. He poured out his blood, and God lifted him up to give him the name that is above every name. And you know, friends, that day's going to come when you endure, when you hyperstand. God is going to lift you up, and he's going to give you a new name. He can do that because he paid the price that you could be in his presence forever as a pillar in his temple. Won't that be a great day? Would anybody here listening to this letter today think, ah, not for me. Listen, Jesus is crazy about you. And he wants you with himself forever and ever. If you're not prepared for his coming, please seek out Luke or Tim, me, one of our leaders, Mark, someone to walk you in this journey. And let Christ do in you and all your obstacles what you could never do for yourself. Today, is the day of salvation. It's your opportunity. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, there is none like you, and we are slow learners. We have hard heads. And so I pray, Father, while we do not seek troubles, we don't welcome suffering, we are thankful that you can be trusted in it. And always have greater things for us. We have ears. And now I pray we will hear well and obey well. That we may hyperstand to the end of time and get that new name. Through Christ I pray. Amen. Let's worship.